0: Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Mary. Great job, as always. Good morning to all of you. Could you turn in your Bible's new chapter, the last chapter in Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. And in the first session, as you can see, we'll be looking at Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, where we have the superscription of Habakkuk's psalm slash prayer. And uh, this is going to be, um, we have a theophany in this uh, this uh, particular chapter, actually a Christophany. Uh, and also a, um, uh, we're also going to have, a. Div- it's called the Divine Warrior Psalm in verses 8 through 15, And this concept of the divine warrior is found throughout the scriptures. i got a book I'm reading. uh, uh, The guy wrote uh, wrote a great book on it, so I'm really enjoying it because it's right up the alley where I'm going to be doing this chapter, talking about this divine warrior psalm. And then I have the Day of the Lord series we just started Wednesday, which we're going to be talking about uh, the Lord's exploits during the tribulation period and the second advent. So uh, this is uh, pretty cool. So I think you'll enjoy that, especially if you guys are military guys. You'll you'll probably really enjoy it as we get to go through this chapter. So this is the last chapter of the book. Um, just a couple of announcements. We have uh, the uh, we're not having the Lord's Supper today. We have we're having it uh, uh, New Year's Eve, and uh, we don't have class uh, Sunday, December twenty fourth, and su- uh, Wednesday, December twenty seventh. So. Uh, Sunday, December 24th, no class. Wednesday, December 27th, no class. And we'll resume classes on the 31st, and we'll have the Lord's Supper at that time. And uh, also, um, we won't have the prayer meeting at the end of this month either, because we won't be having class during that day, uh, the corporate prayer meeting. And also, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Pastor Buddy Peak, his birthday was yesterday. So I think we should all wish him happy birthday. So here we go. Happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear pastor peak <laughs> happy birthday to you and uh, also they we, and also the uh, alabama came through for you on your birthday your, uh, you wanted your, your birthday wish that alabama wins so i think they're going to get into the, the playoff but they should i mean they beat the number one team and it's the sec sec so uh, i don't see how you can keep them up but you never know um, but uh, I would put them my money on that they're going to be in it. And uh, just for the television ratings, right? All right. So Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, as I look around, you all know what to do. Uh, and uh, so with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another blessing you've given to us another day to be on planet Earth and to not only enjoy creation, but more importantly, to have fellowship with you, your Son, and the Holy Spirit, and other like-minded believers in the body of Christ. We just thank you, Father, for uh, the great blessings that you've given to us, and we thank you for your work in, in, in eternity past on our behalf and electing, electing us by predestinating us to adoption as your sons. We also thank you for the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of your Son, Jesus Christ, which provided us our so great salvation and sanctification. And we thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, from regeneration to resurrection, and also, in particular, at the baptism of the Spirit at our justification, where we were identified with your Son in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at your right hand. And we just know that right now we're part of the new humanity along with the Jewish wing of the church. And we just thank you Father, for the great blessings of making us members of the body of Christ and the future bride of Christ. And we just thank you for the fact that at any moment uh, the, the resurrection could take place, the rapture, and we would be perfected in a resurrection body. And we also know that you've given us the victory over physical death for if we died tonight or today at this moment, we'd be absent from the body and face to face with your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for everyone that is in this ministry. I thank you for the leadership of this ministry. I thank you for everyone that's part of this church that has been a, a good student with their time, talent, and treasure and truth that you have given to them. I just thank you for every single person here. I thank you for our our leaders in the civil government and military. I just thank you for each and every one of them. We pray, Father, for our executive, judicial, legislative branches of our federal, state, and local governments, and military, those involved in covert opera, uh, operations. Intelligence and also other paramilitary organizations like the police and in Huntsville. I just thank you for each and every one of them, and I pray that you give them the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country. Raise up more people in these areas of our government and military that have establishment principles and even, of course, positive uh, uh, volition believers. So, Father, I pray. Thanks to today's service and, and our study of beginning of the final chapter of Habakkuk. I just thank you for the study. I pray for your blessing to your people. Uh, today this lesson and also uh, through the recordings at a later date a blessing to the body of Christ I pray father that uh, each person would be spoken to and all of us as a corporate unit I just pray father that the spirit would help each one of us to learn understand and concentrate and make proper application of what we're being taught to make uh, meditate prayerfully meditate upon what we're being taught in order to make personal application so that we can continue to grow up to become like your son Jesus Christ in thought word and action I also pray, Father, for myself, uh, and thank you for the, giving me the privilege to teach the Word of God to your people. It's a, a daunting task to uh, bridge the gap of centuries when this, uh, your Word was written. But with the Spirit, I can do that, and I just pray, Father, that you'd help me by the power of the Spirit to deliver the message today with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. Help me, as well, to be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction and break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder me from concentrating in our audience, as well. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. As I pointed out to you before the opening prayer, and the first session we'll be looking at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, which contains the superscription of Habakkuk's psalm slash prayer. So uh, this is a, a, a tremendous uh, chapter here. As I said before, we'll do a little bit of an outline of what we're going to study in this chapter, this final chapter of Habakkuk, a book that's been uh, uh, neglected in the church, like Haggai and other books that we've studied as my first year and a half being here in Huntsville. And uh, quickly, by way of review, with, with if uh, you're coming late to the study, or I mean, there's always people listening through the podcast as well on the website, so they, people come in late all the time, so it, it doesn't hurt to review quickly. Uh, this book is a dialogue between Habakkuk, the prophet, who appears to be a Levitical priest and a musician, as we'll see for sure in this chapter. And uh, we see that he's having a dialogue with God. He's actually got a vision and he's in the throne room of God. And we pointed this out in the very first verse of the book. And so we see that Habakkuk uh, presents a complaint to God about the apostasy in his nation among the, the believers in his nation who were in an apostasy, and also uh, they were the, the non-believer in the, uh, in the nation and uh, the, the terrible, ungodly, unrepentant behavior of these people. And he was appealing to God to do something about it. This is in the first four verses, as we saw. Well, uh, God had the same feeling as Habakkuk, and uh, of course, Habakkuk was led by the Spirit. We see in verses 5 through 11 that God says, I'm going to bring in the Babylonians to discipline your people. And so Habakkuk took offense to that because... They were pagan idolaters, and Habakkuk could not understand how God would do that. But if you look at Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30, God warned the nation of Israel if they went into apostasy, he would take foreign powers, evil nations, and use these evil nations to judge the evil in their nation. So they should have known that. They should have known that, Habakkuk should have known that from the northern kingdom of Israel that was taken out under discipline in 722 B.C. by the Assyrian Empire, which preceded Babylon. And so that, the northern kingdom never returned to the land. And so they should have known this. He should have remembered this. And so then we see in verses 12-17, to Habakkuk comes back at God and says, I don't like the choice of the Babylonians, and here's why. Then we get to chapter 2, and we just finished that off last week. Uh, God says, well, eventually I'm going to judge Babylon as well, and I feel the same way about Babylon as you do, Habakkuk. And yes, at an end, in time, I will deal with that. In fact, this prophecy of Habakkuk chapter 2 was fulfilled in minute detail And it corresponds to the prophecy in Jeremiah 51. It was fulfilled 66 years later with the Medo-Persian Empire and her allies uh, defeating Babylon and absorbing Babylon into her her empire. And that was according to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2, and Medo-Persia was the second beast in Daniel chapter 7. And uh, in, in, that, uh, in Daniel chapter 7, that great prophecy, which looks at the nations, Gentile nations, as being like wild beasts from the perspe- God's perspective. So now we get into chapter 3, and Habakkuk is very happy that justice is going to be served and God's timing. And now he he has this vision and he has this theophany. Uh, and uh, he has this prayer though that he's going to offer up to God which is very mature prayer and uh, he's basically as we'll see he wants God to uh, you know, manifest his mighty works as the nation goes to its trials and tribulations because the, 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 the kingdom of, uh, of Judah is going to be disciplined by the Babylonian Empire. Well, God's going to use Babylon to do that. So in 605, 597, and 586 B.C., that came to pass. Now, the other books like Daniel and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Esther, uh, is a, a perfect example that God, manifest, he answers uh, Habakkuk's prayer for the nation. He intercedes for the people. Okay, he's standing in the gap in intercessory prayer and in verse 2, as we'll start to look at verse 2 in the second session. And so we see this prayer is fulfilled by God manifesting his mighty works on behalf of Daniel who was a contemporary of Habakkuk, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, we see and, and, and Daniel uh, saving him in the, in the lion's den, and then Ezekiel and all that he went through, and Jeremiah and all the things, and then Esther and the Jewish people that were uh, throughout the Medo-Persian Empire uh, that uh, were uh, had not returned to Jerusalem, and he performed mighty works there for them as well, and also uh, he performed a mighty work and we saw in the book of Haggai, bringing back the people from exile in Babylon for 70 years and having the Medo-Persian ruler, Cyrus, issue a decree to get back to Jerusalem and rebuild it and restore it. So God's going to answer this prayer that we see in verse 2. And so we'll talk a little bit about prayer here in the next, uh, and, uh, on the second session and next Sunday as well. So prayer is always about asking God for what he wants. And what God wants is found in Scripture. And so uh, an effective prayer warrior like Habakkuk, he knew it, uh, he was led by the Spirit, and he knew what God, uh, he knew what uh, God wanted, and so he asked for it. So Santa, uh, God's not Santa Claus, no, he's, he's someone that uh, you have to uh, respect, and he is the one will determine if he's going to answer a prayer, and if it's not according to his will, uh, he's not going to answer that, but he answers this one, and it was fulfilled in history, this prayer. So with that uh, introduction out of the way, let's look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I keep saying the everything but the passage I want to talk about. Uh, look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter, and then we'll look at verse 1 for the rest of the uh, first session. So it says in Habakkuk chapter 3, 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. It says, "Oh, uh, It says, uh, On Shagoanoth. And uh, you can pronounce it Shagayanoth. Shigoanoth is actually the best way to pronounce it. And this is actually something that has to do with a musical notation, as we'll say. So uh, this is a, actually a song, the lyrics to a song. We don't know what the music was. So it's another, in other words, it's like a psalm that dated it. So it says a prayer of Habakkuk on Shigoanoth. And then it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he's saying, in the midst of this discipline, give us the faithful remnant mercy. And he does. So then it says in verse 3, now we get into this theophany. And actually, it's a prophecy as, uh, of a prophecy of the second uh, the tribulation period and the second advent to Christ from verses 3 through 15. So it says, God came from Teman. In fact, we, we talked a little bit about this in Obadiah. We're going to be going back to Obadiah on this. Because that was, Teman has to do with Edom. So when Christ comes back at a second advent, we're gonna see he's gonna be down in what we call Jordan today. And so he goes, he goes on to say, this is a fascinating passage. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Salah. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth, and he looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion and Distress and the dwellings of Midian and Anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? And when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots, you covered your bow and you called for many arrows, Salah. You split the earth with rivers and the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by in the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness and you stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. Now, see these lines here? You, as we'll see when we get to it. You crushed the, lead, the, lead, the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot, Salah. Then it says, with his own spear, you pierced his head. That is, a, that is actually a prophecy of Jesus Christ killing Antichrist at a second advent. When we get to that, we'll, we'll show you. So then he says, with his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, the Jews, during the tribulation period, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great... Waters. Then we have verse 16 and 17, which is expressing the faith of Habakkuk. Remember, the righteous shall live by faith, Habakkuk 2.4. He's going to express this faith, and as, despite the fact that his nation, remember, his nation, it's in the eve of its destruction. Okay? So this is what his, his words are with regards to that, in the face of that. So he's going, this shows his faith. He says, I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. And this is based upon the vision he just saw, the prophecy he just got. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And speaking of the Babylonians. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice... And the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. So he is expressing his faith in the midst of great adversity. So he's saying, this is what I'm going to do during this time of adversity upon my nation. So he's not going to sit there and complain. He's not going to feel sorry for himself. And he's going to be suffering by association with the apostasy in his nation. So that could could very well happen in our nation. You could be doing God's will and suffer by association with the people you live among. And this has happened throughout history. And listen, this is not a popular subject. You know, the things, you, if you know me by now after a year and a half, I don't really care. I'm just caring about if I tell, tell you what God has told me in Scripture and communicate that to you. I'm not a politician. I'm not trying to blow smoke at anybody. I don't ride any hobby horses. You get the whole counsel of God here. I go all, back, for, back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament, different doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm not cherry-picking things, subjects that I know are going to make the place packed out, which I could. I wouldn't dare do that because I fear God. So you're getting the full counsel of God. And so what I'm telling you is a message that's not popular today in America in Christendom. We, you know, we're in the prosperity gospel period of our nation. Of course, we love money in this country. We're idolaters like that. And we just talked about idolatry at the end of the second chapter. So then he says, and this is a great expression of his faith, the sovereign Lord is my strength. And this is very important. Sovereign Lord, he's in control of my circumstances. And this is, make, this is what we need to understand. God is in control of our circumstances. Whatever your circumstances might be, good or bad, he's there in them. In fact, he puts you in those circumstances. So what are you going to do about it? So for the tough, difficult circumstances, you have bad health, you got a bad job, you got fired from your job, you lost your job, you have a financial problem, you don't have a relationship, your wife left you for another woman or another man or whatever the heck's going on in your life, look at you You have choices to make in life. You can either let it destroy you or use it to grow to spiritual maturity. That's called undeserved suffering for blessing. So if the Lord suffered, okay, and he's our Lord and master, are we beneath suffering? No, we're part, when he, in fact, in fact, remember, remember his, his, of his body, and Paul brings this out in Colossians chapter one, when we're suffering, he in effect is suffering with us, as in he the head and we're members of the body. Okay, so it says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength, my power. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to go on the heights. And then he says this, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. So let me give you my translation of verse one on the board. It says the prophet Habakkuk's prayer in accordance with Shigoanoth. And that's my translation of this verse. So verse one uh, and we see here, is the superscription of the prophet of Bacchus' prayer he offered up to the Lord God of Israel on behalf of himself and the faithful remnant of Judah, which he directed to be sung in the temple as part of the worship of the Lord God. So this is something that uh, is... A lot of people don't realize, it. Well, I'm sure that now they probably do, especially in America now in the 21st century, uh, music is a big thing in, in the churches today. In fact, it's, it's made too much of a big thing, quite frankly. But nonetheless, the church was a singing people. The, it, the nation of Israel were a musical people singing. Uh, You see the scriptures filled with lyrics. The the book of Psalms is filled with lyrics from Asaph and the great King David, who is called the sweet psalmist, the sweet songwriter of Israel. And Paul talks about, we're to let the word of Christ dwell in our souls and we're supposed to interact with each other and, 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 and teach each other with doctrinal lyrics. You're supposed to use music to teach doctrine. That's what the early church did. In fact, there's many uh, there's many passages in the New Testament, like Philippians chapter two verses six through eleven, which is basically a a, a, a hymn that was sung in the early church, and Colossians chapter one verses fifteen to twenty is the same deal, and also 1 Timothy three sixteen talking about the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, His first advent. So the church is a singing church, of course. Remember, they have to be doctrinal lyrics. Okay? Because, you know, they should be teaching. Okay? So when I, uh, when I come up here and I'll sing a song, it's really to teach through, the, and, and, and Bert does this as well, with singing lyrics that are doctrinal. In fact, you can learn a lot, you know, I think Pastor Peak said when he was a kid, it was the, the lyrics, the, the music that he was singing in church, actually, he benefited more from that than some of the teaching he was listening to. So uh, music is a very, very powerful medium, a uh, way of expressing. Truth, the word of God. So when I'm up here and singing, you know, uh, a song, it's not to entertain you. I don't, I don't have any joy in entertaining you. I'm trying to teach you through the lyrics. In fact, I try to do a song that coincides with the message. So there's some songs you never heard yet because they never not have a message to go with them, okay? So these, the music is a very powerful thing, but it should be based upon uh, doctrinal lyrics. And this is a, it's lyrics to a song, chapter three, really. It's lyrics to a song, like many of the psalms you see in the, uh, in the book of Psalms. And so this is very important. So we, you know, the Israelites were such a singing people, a very musical people, that when they were, we see this in Lamentations, when they're taking the southern kingdom of Judah, the Babylonians, they're taking them into exile for 70 years, okay? The Babylonians are saying, sing us the songs about Jerusalem. Imagine that. They just destroyed Jerusalem and they're being commanded to go and sing those songs that they wrote about Jerusalem, which is now laying in ruins. So they were very... In fact, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, it says in Matthew, they went out after, after the... They did the Lord's Supper, and they, you know, then John 13 through 17, they went out and sang a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives singing a hymn. In fact, there you see where Jesus comes in and presents himself as the king of Israel, and he wapes over the city. You know, and he knows that they're gonna reject him and have rejected them. And he weeps over the city, but they were singing antiphonally. One was singing. one side of the street was singing this, and the other singing was this. You know, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, and here he is. So when you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, there'll be music in, the, in, in music you'll be so you'll never want to come back here once you get there. The music, everything you're gonna see. In fact, as we're gonna see in the second session, what Habakkuk saw, as he saw it was as he said at the end of the chapter. It shook him up. Being in the presence of the Lord, his bodily presence, is something that will shake you up. Look at Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10. Look at the great apostle John in Revelation chapter 1. He was shaken up severely. He fell as a dead man before his feet. So you and I, this is, what we, this is why we need to live our lives in respect for him now by learning and putting into practice his word, okay, and living the spiritual life, okay, and loving one another, interacting with one another, as the early church did and all doctrine ministries should be doing. And that is very important because one day you're going to have to stand and I'm going to have to stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. And it will be an awesome, awesome thing. When we come to church, there should be an awesomeness to it. When the word of God is being spoken... Like when Ezra talked in, in the Old Testament, and he's they came back from uh, Babylon and they rebuilt, rebuilt Jerusalem and the temple, <clears throat> and Ezra goes and teaches people the word, and they went down and they worshiped when he when he when, they stood up when he was reading, and then when they then they went after it was all done, they bowed down and worship him. Oh, there was a respect in the church for the word of God when it's being taught. It's awe, it should be awe inspiring. It's the Holy Spirit is working. And, 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 and listen to me. God can use any Tom, Dick, and Harry he chooses. He could use Balaam's ass to speak to somebody. He could use somebody like me. So don't be enthralled with the personality cult. You know, that's a big problem. is like people, it's all about the personality. No. They come and go. Your, my, from the guys I, I revered, they're dead and gone now. Okay? Another generation's been raised up by God. Don't be blind and see the greatness of some men that are out there today. The church is speaking to them today like they did in the previous generations before. They show there should be an awe to the word of God when it's being spoken. There should be a sense of reverence in the presence of the Lord here because he's with us. We're all indwelt by the Trinity, the elect angels. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, he commands Timothy to preach the Word of God in season and out of season, when it's good, popular or not popular. And he says this in the presence of the elect angels, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the presence of the elect angels, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. You always need to be... And so every time, you know, every time I come up here, this is an act of worship. And this is should, and this is should be an act of worship for every single person in the audience. It's an act of worship to sit down and to listen to what the Spirit's going to tell me today. It's an act of worship when he convicts me, when he encourages me, when he instructs me in righteousness, when he exhorts me to, 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 to go further and grow up more, became more and more like Jesus Christ. So we see Habakkuk 3, one is the superscription of the prophet Habakkuk's prayer. He offered it up to the Lord God of Israel on behalf of himself and the faithful remnant of Judah which he directed to be sung in the temple as part of the worship of the Lord God of Israel. Now, the figure of ascendaton is being used in this verse. What that simply means is there's no connective word between verse 1 of chapter 3 and the last verse of chapter 2, and or now or but. We don't have any of those words. This, this figure is used in every language, including our own, and there's different reasons why the writer might use it. Some is for emphasis. Some is to mark a transition in the the work that the uh, literary work that's uh, uh, in view, so the figure of ascendant here in Ephesians three, uh, Habakkuk three one indicates that it marks a transition to the fifth major section of the book of Habakkuk. So this figure is used to mark a transition. Now, by way of review, we saw that the first major section was in Habakkuk chapter one verses two through four, where Habakkuk presents his complaint to God over the. A poor, uh, ungodly, unrepentant behavior of his fellow citizens in the southern kingdom of Judah. And then the second major section we pointed out in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1, we have, the, uh, we have the Lord's response to Habakkuk's complaint and that he has chosen the Babylonians to discipline his people. The third major section we pointed out in verses 12 through 17 is Habakkuk coming back and responding to God's choice of the Babylonians, and he doesn't like the choice. And then the fourth major section, which we just finished off on uh, last Sunday, uh, it, uh, we have God saying, responding to Habakkuk's complaint, saying, I will eventually judge the Babylonians. And he did, in 539 B.C., Habakkuk chapter 2 and Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1 were fulfilled in minute detail. In fact, we pointed out that Habakkuk preceded Jeremiah because we see that Jeremiah 51 echoes Habakkuk chapter 1 and, excuse me, Habakkuk chapter 2. How do I say he preceded Jeremiah? Well, for the simple reason that when Habakkuk wrote, it was on the eve of the Babylonian, first the Babylonian invasion. That's why. In, Babylon, in Jeremiah 51, which we read a huge chapter, he was told to go and present this in Babylon. This prediction from the Lord that he would destroy Babylon one day. So we see we have the fifth major section now. We have the fifth major section of Habakkuk. It appears here in chapter three. And this particular chapter and fifth major section uh, can be divided into five sections. First of all, uh, we have, of course, the superscription here in Habakkuk 3 1, while the second is in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, which we're going to look at to begin to look at in the second session and that contains the prophet's petition his petition to the Lord on behalf of himself and his people the faithful remnant in among his people now we see that the third section is in verses 3-7 through seven, which presents a theophany while the fourth is found in Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 8-15 to which records the Lord's exploits as a warrior and this is a very, as I said before this is a, a theme that is found throughout scripture All the way, go back to all the way to the book of Exodus and the Lord destroying Pharaoh and his army, the Red Sea. So he is a divine warrior, we call it. We see it from the the beginning of the book to the end of the book. Revelation ends with Jesus Christ as the great divine warrior with the blood of his, his enemies on his garments which that passage we saw in the back of chapter 1, verse 3, he comes from Teman, Mount Paran, that's Edom. We saw that passage in, in Obadiah, in Isaiah 63, verses 1 to 3, there's blood on his garments, and they'll say to Jesus, where did you get the blood on your garments? From my enemies. So people want Jesus to be this loving God, and they don't really know what God's love is about anyways. They, they, they think he's some kind of sentimental uh, you know, grandfather figure. Okay? No. He is the Lion of Judah, and he's the Lamb of God. You must have a proper view of Jesus Christ. And there's a great part of the church today doesn't want to hear that Jesus is a warrior. He's the greatest warrior. He's going to be, he'll be when he walks this earth, he will touch the Mount of Olives. He will destroy his enemy. He will kill personally Antichrist. We see in this passage in of chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. We'll see it. He's going to personally, in fact, he's got the church, the elect angels, everybody coming back with him. Old Testament saints and resurrection body, tribulation martyrs, the church and resurrection body, the elect angels. And he's going to do the fighting for himself because he's omnipotent. And so he's going to get vindication. He's going to get, he's going to meet out the justice because all judgment has been, he's the judge of all people. John chapter 5. God, the Father, has given him all judgments in his hands and he will execute it. So the world is shaking its fist at him today and you see the people in our country and in Russia and China, around the world, around all the continents of this planet, shaking their fist at God with their ungodly behavior in the ungodly way they think, reflecting the standards of the devil the cosmic, and his cosmic system and slaves of the sin nature and you and I have been delivered from that. And we are in union with that person who's going to strike the earth with his power and he's going, with his seven seal trumpet and bold judgments. Revelation 5 says it's the wrath of the Lamb. Yes, the same one they crucified in weakness and he was raised on the third day. He's going to come back because he's seated at the right hand of the Father until his, the Father makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. So it's not a popular message in this country to hear that Jesus is a warrior too. He's not, he's, yes, he's the meek lamb of God. That was his first advent. Second advent, it's a totally, completely different story. And the world does not know what they're about to face. As we saw in 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, they'll be saying peace and safety during the tribulation period. They'll have those first three and a half years of the tribulation, 70th week of Daniel, it'd be a cold war. It turns into a hot war when the Antichrist goes into the temple and declares himself God and the false prophet builds, uh, builds a, uh, an image to, to worship the Antichrist. But the abominations of desolation mentioned in Daniel 9.27. So you and I are going to follow Jesus Christ back in his second advent. In fact, we're going to be in heaven when he's administering those seven sealed trumpet and bowl judgments which we're all going to look at them in our Day of the Lord series on Wednesday evenings. So get ready and put, and, and put your uh, seatbelt on because we're going to go through all of that, which is going to help us understand Habakkuk as well. So we come back with him, and he exercises omnipotence, and he strikes the tribulational armies. He strikes them with his power, just the word. I mean, think about but Jesus, when he's in the boat, in the storm, and the apostles, and he's down in there sleeping in the bottom of the boat, and they, you know, Jesus, what are you doing? He, says, he goes, be still. He saw that. Now they all saw that. Be still, and everything was calm. Same one who did that. It's the same one who's going to raise us from the dead. And the same one who's going to strike his enemies dead. And establish the kingdom on earth by right. This is called holy war. This is not what the Arabs, the the Muslims are talking about. Their holy war is not biblical. It's not the will of God. But God has a holy war and he's waging it. And he's going to wage it during the tribulation period and the second advent, and there'll be peace to this earth finally. But it had to be done by force. And he removed all his enemies. Anybody unregenerate person is taken off to the earth by the elect angels. And we start the kingdom with only believers. And you and I are the bride of Christ. So this chapter should cause us to get a a vision of our Lord. It's more balanced and give us a vision that would cause us to be more in awe of him. And if we're more in awe of him, we'll have more respect for him, and we will keep short accounts with God when we sin. We will not uh, play games and play church with God. We'll be serious about our relationship with God and set aside sanctified time alone with God every day and meet with the body of Christ when it's assembling, as we are to do. You're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves as a habit of some. So that's respect for him. Okay, that's respect for him. And when his word's being taught, you listen carefully and then put it into practice. And you serve. You show your respect for him by your serving members of the body of Christ. Love one another as I have loved you. He'll, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, John fourteen fifteen. Now we see the third section of Habakkuk chapter 3 is in verses 3 through 7, which presents a theophany, while the fourth, as I said, is found in verses 8 to 15, which records the Lord's exploits as a warrior. Lastly, the fifth section in this chapter is found in verses 16 to 19, which is, I think, is one of the most beautiful expressions of faith in the Bible. It records Habakkuk's response of faith to the revelation he received from the Lord, which is recorded in this book that bears his name. So therefore, Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 1 parallels the very first uh, verse in the book since both verses identify the author as the prophet Habakkuk. Now Habakkuk chapters 1 and 2 contain the revelatory vision the prophet received from the Lord regarding his choice to not only discipline the apostate citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah at the end of the 7th century BC for their unrepentant sinful behavior, but also to judge the Babylonians, as we saw, for their unrepentant sinful behavior. On the other hand, Habakkuk chapter 3 contains Habakkuk's prayer to the Lord in response to this revelatory vision. This prayer not only contains the prophet's intercessory prayer to the Lord on behalf of himself and the faithful remnant of Judah, but also it's the prophet's worship of the Lord in response to the vision of the Lord victorious in battle as well as an expression of the prophet's faith. There's a lot in there in that statement. So you have worshiping. We're going to talk about worshiping the Lord in in this chapter at different points. Worship involves, as I said in the beginning of the message here, reverence, awe, respect, and all that involves We're receiving revelation by the Holy Spirit as to who God is, what he's done for us in the past, what he's done on earth in the past, what he's doing for us now, and what he'll do for us in the future. That, we're privileged people. We're a privileged group of people, and we have great privilege. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. We're part of the new humanity, us Gentile Christians, with the Jewish wing of the church. We're the new humanity. We're going to, as we said before, we're going to rule over the works of God's hands. We're in the process, God is in the process of restoring humanity to its rightful place as rulers of this earth. And one day we'll dispossess Satan and the fallen angels. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6, 6, he said, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Remember back back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, I created mankind. Adam and Eve, to rule over the works of my hands. But Hebrews chapter 2, Paul says, but we don't see that right now. We see Satan, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, is the God of this world. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world is under his power. And he deceives all the nations. Revelation chapter 12. And he offered up the kingdoms of this world to our Lord, and our Lord emphatically rejected him with the word of God. Now, that wouldn't be a legitimate temptation if he didn't have that kind of power authority he does he evidently usurped the authority of adam and eve with the fall so Christ's crucifixion death burial resurrection session the right hand of the father is the first step in restoring humanity over the as ruler of planet earth and now the minute you got saved declared justified through faith in christ that moment at the baptism of the spirit you were identified with christ And those events in his life, his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father, you are now part of the new humanity. You are a member of the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23, to the end of that chapter teaches that. The bride of Christ. He's the head, you're the body. He's the vine, we're the vine branches. Okay, That's telling us, these metaphors are telling us that we're inextricably tied to Jesus Christ. So how shall we live our lives? How should we conduct ourselves on this, this, this earth in light of what he's done for us in the past, what he's doing for us now, where the Father and the Son, the Son and the Spirit are interceding for us, the Spirit in us, the Son at the right hand of the Father, as we go through trials and tribulations. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father as our advocate when Satan makes accusations against us. Zechariah chapter 3, 1 John 2, 1, he's our advocate with the Father. Why do we need an advocate? Because Satan's... He's, Satan's making accusations as we speak against members of the body of Christ. And he doesn't need lies. He's got the book on all of us. We're at war. We're at war. This is not a game. I don't play church. Many of you, you don't play church either. There's not too many churches I've been been a part of. They're playing church. They're playing games. No, this is war. There's a joy and there's all this stuff, the faith and love and everything. But this is war, though. We're, in, we're not, you know, we're not in a nice place. You know, my father said to me when I was a little boy, Billy, trying to teach me about life, this is a bad place sometimes. And many of you know, especially you guys have been at war. I've listened to some guys who were in Afghanistan or Iraq or Vietnam and World War II tell me some terrible things that people do to each other in war not a nice place. It's a place of war. We're surrounded by enemies. The church is surrounded by an invisible enemy. Okay? Now, this might not, this might make a lot of Christians uncomfortable, but it's the truth. You want the truth or you want to lie? The truth is what we need. Reality. That's what truth is. So, in light of these things, how shall we conduct ourselves? In a fashion that brings glory and honor to him. Using his power appropriating his omnipotence through faith in his word. And that faith will produce obedience. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. Hebrews 11.8. So this is how we honor Jesus Christ with our thoughts, words, and actions. Okay? And this is how our response should be. And this is what Habakkuk's doing. So this prayer not only contains the prophet's intercessory prayer to the Lord on behalf of himself and the faithful remnant of Judah, but also the prophet's worship of the Lord and response to the vision of the Lord's victorious, being victorious in battle, and as well as an expression of the prophet's faith. Okay? By, you know, it says in, was it? Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Why do some people, men and women in the body of Christ, seem to have greater faith than others in the body of Christ? I'll tell you why. They hear the word of God and, and do what it says. They accept the revelation, the, word, the communication of the Word of God to them. They accept by faith what the Spirit's saying. They perceive it, but then they metabolize it by exercising faith. I believe what the pastor's saying there. I believe what he's saying. And if you do, it'll manifest itself in our words and our actions, the way our priorities are in life, the way we make decisions in life, where we, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we raise our families, how we conduct our jobs and our businesses, all of that's involved. We take our Christianity out to the street, as Jay Vernon, Vernon McGee used to say, where the rubber meets the road. That's real, okay? So we see here that this word for prayer here, tafilah, and this is translated correctly, it pertains to the contents of Habakkuk's prayer, which appears in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, the contents of this verse indicate that the word is more than just a petition, but an intercessory prayer on behalf of the faithful remnant of Judah to which the prophet belonged. Intercessory prayer is an expression of the love of God in our lives, okay, intercessory prayer. There is petition for oneself, there's also intercessory prayer. Prayer, there's, seven, there's several... We're going to do this when we do a series on prayer on Wednesday nights. You have... Uh, we have... First of all, you need to confess your sins. Otherwise, God's not going to hear your prayer and you're not going to be able to pray according to the Spirit if you're out of fellowship with God, okay? So that's an essential element. Faith is an essential element as well, you know? Don't say, I, this is Lord, I'm praying for this. Once you know what the will of God is and you pray it, okay? Don't start praying until you receive it. If you quit... All right? What did he say in Luke 18? And he, he had the, the, the old widow who was, uh, wanted justice from the unrighteous judge, and she badgered him till he, he gave her what she wanted. How much more who your righteous father will answer you when you ask him? Now he delays in the prayer, answering the prayer and fulfilling it because he's developing your faith in mine. That's why he waits. He knew what you said, and he wants to see if you're going to have faith in him. Faith will continue to uh, pr- pursue God until He gives you what you've asked for, and of course, you have to ask according to what His will is. You know, God. I know. I mean, I, how many times I prayed, "Oh Lord, give me Halle Berry or Darian Lane as my wife." <laughs> that ain't happening, Bill. Sorry, you're going This is not God's will for your life. Is marry any of those women or anybody? Else. So it, it, you got to ask what He wants. Once you determine what He wants, you keep asking for it. So. We see here that this prayer is very powerful prayer. He's praying, and it was answered by God. And it was, we saw it manifested in the lives of, as I said before, Daniel and his adversity in Babylon and with Medo-Persia ruler, Daniel 6, his Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego event in chapter 3 of Daniel. We see it in Jeremiah with his, things he had to go through, Ezekiel. And we see with Esther is a mass, magnificent example of God answering this intercessory prayer. To manifest his power, his mighty works once again on behalf of his people during this exile in Babylon. So this prayer requests that the Lord would repeat the awesome deeds he had performed in the past for the nation of Israel. By manifesting these deeds again in his day and age. By demonstrating mercy to this faithful remnant while the Lord disciplined the apostate citizens in his nation. Now... The word there, shigayon, uh, uh, shigayon is the word, and uh, in Hebrew, that's how it's pronounced. And it's pronounced shigoanoth in the English. You can pronounce it shigayonoth. But in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is shigayon, uh, shigayon, and it, it occurs only twice in the New Testament. It actually appears in Psalm chapter 7, verse 1, and it was used in a superscription there. Now, here in Habakkuk 3, 1, It's also used in a superscription of intercessory prayer by Habakkuk for the faithful remnant of Judah. In both instances, in Psalm 7 verse 1 and Habakkuk 3 1, the word probably describes the type of psalm or it is a musical notation of some kind. And actually there's a great, I've read a lot, when I studied this passage in detail, I've read a lot of stuff on it. And it's quite interesting. There's great uh, conjecture among biblical scholars as to the meaning of this word here in Hebrew, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. Kenneth Barker, who is a great expositor of the book of Habakkuk, he says the following excuse me, he says, The title, and I'm quoting from him, the title verse also contains the curious expression, Shagoanoth, a transliteration from the Hebrew. Though the meaning of the word is unknown, scholars agree that it is most likely a musical notation. The final sentence of the chapter supports this supposition. Many similar terms and titles to the Psalms are now thought to be names identifying hymn tunes or instructions concerning the playing of the music which apparently accompanied the song. I am of the opinion, people, that this word shigion, shigion, excuse me, here in the back at three one, is a type of musical notation indicating actually the arrangement or the style of the music to be performed accompanying Habakkuk's prayer recorded in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 2 through 19. What's really important, why isn't it left to, how do we don't, how come it's been lost to history? It's really not that important. The lyrics are what is important. Okay? In fact, there's some songs, if you listen to some of my songs, I'm practically lifting them from Paul or David or somewhere. You know, I'll take, you know, keep seeking the things above. So that's from Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. So the, the, the lyrics are what's important because the lyrics should be able to use, be used to teach people the Word of God. You can sing it and you can teach it in a manner that I'm doing it right now, inter, interacting with each other. You could do that, but you could also do it through music as well. And sometimes uh, music touches people's heart. Better than it 's someone who 's not to, is teaching the Word of God without music, so the style of music, therefore, is unknown and lost to history. However, the contents of Habakkuk chapter three, verses two through nineteen indicate that Habakkuk 's prayer contains intercession for the faithful men of Judah, worship of the Lord in the form of a vision of the Lord being victorious in battle with his enemies, and an expression of Habakkuk 's faith. In the Lord. So this word shigion, uh, this word is the object of the preposition al, which here means in accordance with. So this preposition al in the Hebrew, it uh, it functions here as a marker of norm, indicating the standard or the norm to which something is compared, and with which is judged to be in accordance with. So therefore, we see that this word shigion is the musical standard or norm to which Habakkuk's prayer to the Lord has compared and with which this prayer is judged to be in accordance with. So consequently, this prepositional phrase indicates that Habakkuk's prayer to the Lord requesting that he would be merciful to the faithful remnant of Judah while he disciplines the people in his nation was to be in accordance with the style or the arrangement of music called Shiganoth. In other words, Shiganoth or in the Hebrew Shigayon was to be the musical standard or norm to which Habakkuk offered his prayer to the Lord. So you can sing a song. You can sing your prayers. One of the great things, being able to play with music, I've always enjoyed, you know, is uh, you could be down and out, and but pick up the canada, sing, just for myself, just to entertain myself. I forget all my problems. I can't tell you how many times what a great gift music is. And, and there are other people in this church that you know, as the Lord leads them, I would like to see them come up and sing at the end of closing instead of me all the time. That's why I take a break around when you to get sick of me. You're probably sick of me already with my squeaky voice. So I love when other people play, because that's what it's it's about sharing the gift that God gave you. Okay? So this is very important because music is very powerful and it can change people's lives. Okay? Just look at the music of the world how it's changed the world, some of the music that's been taking place in the last 50, 60, 70 years, okay? in popular music, you know, with the Beatles and all these guys, okay? Elvis changed the world in many ways, okay? For better or for worse, okay? So we see that music is very powerful, and the Christian community is over, in America is overemphasizing music, and I know that because you go to the churches that are packing it out, the teaching is, is this, where the music is this. Now, I'm all for music, but if you read the book of Acts and the early church and how they ran their services in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, the first thing was the apostles' teaching. Because everything pivots off that. Prayer, corporate intercessory prayer, and also fellowship with each other, serving each other, and singing. Because you could have a great piece of music and melody, but if the lyrics stink, what good is it? If there's, you know, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, great. Where's the rest of it? You know, you know, let's have some intelligent, you know, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, God gives you the music. There are the lyrics right there in your Bible, okay? So, whatever, how you want to do it, I'm just telling you that music is overemphasized in America. In fact, we're, so much so that people know more about their favorite Christian artists than they know about their Bible. How sad, okay? So we must have, everything starts off with what the Word of God's teaching us, and it's going to affect not only the music, it should also affect our prayer lives, corporate and individual, and serving each other, fellowship with each other, fellowship which is not based upon, we're going to talk about the Alabama football game, and I'm not not saying there's nothing wrong with talking about the Alabama football game, so don't get me wrong, but... What I like, and I go around, and I hear people, they're talking about the Word of God. I've been in some churches where nobody's talking about the Word of God. Okay? Okay, so instead they're talking about stuff that has nothing to do with the Word of God, and they walk with God. And when was the last time you went to a Christian, I was like, how you walk with God? I did that one time, and somebody was like... <laughs> and they, did, they were shocked. And the reason why I said it is because they weren't really walking with God. They had been, been running away from God for a while. That's why I said it. And then the, then the person's uh, parents said, well, the reason why they got shook up is because that person's been backsliding for the last year. So that's why I said, that's why I said it. <laughs> so now if I go up to you and say, how's your walk with God? That doesn't mean I think you're in apostasy, okay? I might just be saying, how's it going? Tell me what's going on in your life that God's doing stuff. What is he working on? You know, blah, 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 blah. You know? So we have here that Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 2 through 19, appears to be a prayer offered up to the Lord God of Israel by Habakkuk on behalf of himself and the faithful remnant of Judah at the end of the 7th century BC, which was set to music. Now, thus this prayer was a psalm or lyrics for music and which music has been lost to history. Or in other words, Habakkuk 3.1 marks the contents of Habakkuk 3, verses 2 through 19 as a psalm slash prayer. The latter is a prayer of Habakkuk which the prophet directed to be set to a particular musical arrangement, which has since been lost to history. In fact, Habakkuk 3.2 serves as the refrain. Verse 2 is the refrain, the chorus, to this psalm or song. And it would have been sung after Habakkuk 3.8 and verse 15. So its verse 2 is really the chorus. Okay. So Habakkuk 3, as we close, was an expression of Habakkuk's faith in the Lord God of Israel, by not only the prophet Habakkuk, but also the faithful remnant of Judah, and it expressed their faith that the Lord would protect and preserve them while he disciplined the apostate citizens in Judah by means of the Babylonian army. It's also an expression of the remnant of this remnant's faith in the Lord, that the Lord will administer justice to not only the apostate citizens of Judah for their unrepentant sinful behavior, but also would administer justice to the Babylonians for their unrepentant sinful behavior. Thus Habakkuk. Chapter 3 is an expression of the great prophet Habakkuk's faith and this faithful remnant's submission to the Lord's justice and sovereignty over them. He's sovereign in our lives. He's told us what he wants us to do. We must do what we're told to do. Do our job. Okay? Do what we're supposed to be doing. I need as the pastor to do what I'm supposed to do. The deacons in this church are supposed to do what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do whatever God has called you to. That's what our job is. Let him run the world. Let him take care of the president. Let him take care of Russia and China. Let him do that. You do what you're told to do. And I, that's what we need to do. And you know, as, as if our nation goes through a crisis, a national crisis, and we've gone through them, maybe a national crisis related to this next election that could be catastrophic to our nation and the world, you don't know what God has planned for this world. And don't listen to the commentators, conservative and liberal or independent, whoever they are, telling you what the future is. They don't know. Man can make their plans, and they can do all these, they can, the powerful men of this world can make their plans, but God is sovereign over them. And does, and does he not work through the prayers of his saints? He sure does. And this is where we come in, our job is to do our job, (laughs) is to to live the spiritual life. And all that involves being good stewards with the time, talent, and treasure and truth that God gave you, learning God's word, meeting with the body of Christ, having corporate prayer, individual prayer for yourself, your own sanctified time alone with God. Do your job at work as under the Lord. Okay? Not for eye service. To When the boss is there, you're working hard, but when he's out of the office, you get your feet on the desk. That's not doing your job as under the Lord. Do your business as under the Lord being just to your employees. That's part of the spiritual life. Paul talks about this to the slave masters in Colossians chapter 3. We're supposed to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And if our children, when they grow up, they go in the wrong direction, at least your conscience is clear, I did the best. Because there are some parents that have done great things, raised their kids, and yet some of their children have gone away. That's on the children. They have volition too. At least you know you did what you did, what you and God led you to do, and you can rest and ensure that God will take care of your child that's run off into apostasy or wherever they're gone. So this is where we are. So no matter how bad it might get, we need to rejoice like the prophet Habakkuk. I will rejoice. What does he say at the very end? We'll close here. Look at the very end. He says, I love this. It's so beautiful what he says this. He says in verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud, they're an agricultural economy. Okay, they're devastated by the war. The Babylonians wage war. And so their agricultural economy and their economy are gone now. And there are no grapes on the vines. Although the olive tree crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen because the Babylonians will take them all. And no cattle in the stalls because the Babylonians took them all. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's the sacrifice of prayer, praise. Sacrifice of praise mentioned in Hebrews. You know, I hear, and I'm not knocking them, but I hear country stars and they go, you know, I'd like to thank the Lord Jesus. That's good, good. You're making $10 million a year on a stupid record, okay? And you got everybody and his mother who wants to buy you dinner, though you can afford it yourself, but everywhere you go, you get the, the opened up Everything's done for you. Open the doors for you, everything. You're living a high life. You're doing well, and you got, you got, you're beautiful, and you've got a beautiful husband and a wife and kids and a big mansion and everything, and everything's going great. Yeah, i praise Jesus, too, if I had that, too. But you're actually in a dangerous position if you don't realize it. The test, prosperity test now has come, and not many pass it. No, but can you say to the Lord, I rejoice. I will be joyful in my relationship with God even if you lost your job, You're not making enough money. You can't pay the rent. What are you gonna do? My my mom's sick. I don't feel good. My body's falling apart on me. I lost my husband. I lost my wife. I lost a child. I don't. What are you gonna do? You gonna feel sorry for yourself? Think about jumping off the bridge? Or you're going to rejoice in your relationship with God, which is the most important thing that you have in life. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter how bad it gets, it's this is what you have. You've got everything. We're overwhelmingly conquerors. conquerors. Look at Paul. I've learned to be content in my circumstances. No matter. I've been. I've been. My belly filled, and then at times I went hungry. Had hiding clothes on my back. I I was homeless. But I've I've had prosperity. Doesn't matter. It's all context. At the end of the day, I have my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why Paul and Timothy, Paul and Sylvanus, where it could be Silas, could be singing in the temple. uh, I the temple, the, the prison in Philippi, singing psalms and hymns, and they're in shackles. How could they do that? This is why. My God's with me. And this is momentary light affliction is going to produce in me an eternal weight of glory. So I rejoice in my God. That is faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for everyone here. I just pray this message be a blessing to your people. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.